Thanks. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 1. Whether you're online or here in person, we just open your Bibles and you can follow along. We're going to work our way through this entire book of the Bible. We'll go through every single verse of this book of the Bible. And I want you to get to know this book well. It's a great book. It's very relevant to our time, our age. And I hope you can join me each week as we look at 2 Timothy. We're going to only be looking at two verses this morning, but we'll work our way through the whole book of the Bible. So let's read in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Um, hold your Bible open. We'll refer back to it. And then we've got some notes for you to take. I'll suggest you write some things down, even if you're watching online or or here in person, you can follow along with the notes. Let's, uh, let's read this passage together. The Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, I want you to know some principles from this passage. We're talking about the promise of life and what life is about, what God wants for your life. There are three principles that I want you to know that God gives your life. God wants your life to have. So if you just take some notes, write these down. I'll have some other things you might want to write down along the way as well. Here's principle number one. God gives your life purpose. When we talk about the promise of life, I want you to see that God gives your life purpose. God created you for a reason, for a purpose. And if you know Christ as Savior, if you've been saved, he saved you for a purpose. And I want you to see that God wants your life to have purpose. Let's note what the Bible says in verse 1. Notice the Bible says Paul, he's the author here, the Holy Spirit. In fact, 2 Timothy chapter 3 will tell us that God breathes Scripture. All Scripture is God breathed, the Bible says. But he uses human instruments like Paul to accomplish his purposes. And Paul is not the kind of person you would expect to be the author of a book like this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But Paul is the one God uses. If you know something about the Bible, you know that Paul was a man who persecuted the church. You don't expect a guy like that to be one of the leaders of the church. He'd arrest Christians and haul them off to jail. You may know that Paul was a religious zealot. I don't think the enemy minds you being religious. He just doesn't want that to be real. Paul was very religious. And he was very passionate. He was just religious and passionate about the wrong things. So Paul knew the Old Testament that taught about God, but he didn't know the God of the Old Testament. He knew about the things of God from the Bible, but he didn't know the God who gave the Bible. And so finally, through some supernatural work of God, Paul came to know Christ as Savior, and it revolutionized his life. Now, rightly understood, religion can be our response to God, but wrongly understood, it becomes the replacement for what God wants. And there are many people who are very religious, but it doesn't change anything in their life. They, you can even be religious and not know the Lord. Paul was that. Paul was prideful. Anyone here ever struggle with pride? Where we begin to think we don't really even need God. We can do things because of our own abilities or talents. Paul certainly had all of that. The Bible says we're to humble ourselves before the Lord. And that when we're weak, that's when we're strong because we depend upon God and not ourselves. And when we think we're strong, that's when we're weak because we're depending upon ourselves instead of God. And that was all who Paul was. And yet, the Bible says Paul is the author here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's described as an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. He's an apostle. That means he's someone who gives evidence of having seen the resurrected Jesus. He saw the resurrected Jesus on the 
way to Damascus to persecute Christians and then came to know Christ as Savior. The uh, word apostle is used to describe a spiritual gift that God gives. If you know Christ as Savior, the Bible says God gives every believer spiritual gifts. Every believer spiritual gifts, not just talents. Everyone has talents whether they know Christ or not. Not just personality. Everyone has a personality, even if you think you even if you think you know someone who has no personality, they have a personality. These are gifts that God gives to believers. And why does God give these gifts to believers? He gives them to believers to use. So if God has gifted you to teach, he does that so that you will teach. This is super profound. If God, see, let's see if you can get this one. If God has given you the gift of service, do you know why he's giving you that gift of service? So you will serve. Now this, I'm telling you, it's profound. And many Christians have missed this. They think God just wants them to have. And God wants you to have so that you use. You're blessed so that you will bless. You're given so that you will give. And the Bible says God wants your life to have purpose. And so God has given you spiritual gifts and he wants you to use them for his glory. And many Christians have never gotten that. And they think they just are given gifts by God for them to have. When God wants you to use the gifts that he's put into your life to make a difference in this world. It's a part of your purpose. The Bible says he's an apostle, Paul, an apostle of Christ by God's will. By God's will. God's will is God's plan for us. God has a will for your life. God has a plan for you. Now, I grew up in church, and so I heard about God's will all of my life. And I thought, well, I know that I'm supposed to do God's will, and I'm supposed to follow God's plan. But I don't really want to because I bet it's, just a, it's going to make me just miserable. It's going to be terrible. And the Bible says this about God's will. It is good and pleasing and perfect. That's what the Bible says. Good, pleasing, and perfect. So I misunderstood. I thought God's will was right. It was what I was supposed to do, but it was just going to make my life miserable because somehow I thought God's goal for my life was to see how miserable he could make me, I, I suppose. I guess I somehow deep inside I thought maybe it's just the, um, you know, the way the enemy attacked me in a, in a sense, just to think God's will, I know it's the right thing to do, but it's going to make my life miserable. And I've discovered that God's will is what is good and pleasing and perfect for you. It's God's best for you and for your life. God wants you to follow his will. And so Paul said, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus, and this is God's will for me. God wants to use me to make a difference in this world. And notice what he says then, for the sake. Now that gets to purpose, doesn't it? For the sake. So he's saying, here's the purpose Here's why God has called me to be an apostle. Here's why God has saved me. Here's why God's given me spiritual gifts. Here's why God uh, has shown me his plan, his will for my life. For the sake, this is purpose, for the sake, for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. So God wants me to make a difference in the lives of others. He wants me to be a means by which people find the promise of life. He wants me to be a means by which people discover the love of the Lord, the life of the Lord, the plan of the Lord, the purpose of the Lord, the direction of the Lord. God, for the sake, my purpose is the promise of life in Christ Jesus. In fact, that's a part. Church, may I say, for Christians as a whole, a part of our purpose in life, God made you for a purpose. He created you for a purpose. But if you're saved, you're saved for a purpose. 
not just to go to heaven one day, but also in this world, you're saved for a purpose. And a part of your purpose is for the promise of life in Christ Jesus. God wants to use us to make a difference in the lives of others. So if you're a note taker, we just write this in your margin there. God does amazing things through surprising people. God does amazing things through surprising people. If I were God, and I am not, I can assure you. But if I were, I don't think I'd choose someone like you. I sure wouldn't have chosen someone like Paul. But God does amazing things through surprising people. You might have said, well, God will never, God can't do anything through me. It's amazing the kind of people God uses. Surprising. He uses people who have fallen and messed up. You know there's not, did you know there's not anyone in this church who hasn't fallen and messed up? Did you know there's not a single person in this church who hasn't sinned against God? In fact, we don't even let you join if we, if you think you've never sinned. Did you know that? Because the Bible says all of sin and falls short of the glory of God. We've all messed up. We're all broken. We're all, we've all failed. And God uses those kinds of people, people like us, to accomplish his purposes. God does amazing things through surprising people like Paul. And God's purpose for your life is for you, for the sake, for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. God wants to use us to make a difference in the lives of others. Now, I appreciate every, I appreciate the military, all of you military types. I'm grateful for you. I don't care what rank, what um, branch of the service. What I, I, man, I am so thankful for you and for the cause of freedom. I'm just grateful for you. And I just say having, you know, I'm a civilian and kind of watching from the outside how much I appreciate you who have served or are serving. God bless you. And I, whatever role you have in the military, God bless you. And one of the groups that probably just doesn't get much um, recognition or attention or appreciation or, or those who serve in the National Guard. And I saw a story this week about the California National Guard. Some of you may have seen this. There's wildfires in California. Many of you are aware of that. Sierra National Forest is a vast forest system there and the wildfires. Every year they have fires. This year just been an exceptional year of fires. And so there are lots of people who needed rescuing and in, in particular case of a couple hundred people in a very difficult part. And and um, there were a couple of helicopters who flew in, Black Hawk and a Chinook that flew in to save people. And here's, here's this, the little basics of the story. These couple hundred people who were saved by the work of the National Guard. They were told by the California Department of Forestry and Fire that it was too risky and that they should turn back. And here's what they said. This is a quote. Just tell us where the people are. We're going to go get them. Just tell us where the people are. We're going to go get them. Now, there's someone who has an understanding of purpose. There's a need, and God has placed me in this position for this need. I have a job, and I'm going to meet that need. Now, Christian, can I tell you, God wants you to understand purpose. And God wants you. There's a need. People need the life that is found in Christ Jesus. And there's a whole world around us saying, it's too risky, it's too hard, the culture's too far gone. People won't listen. A thousand excuses. If you want another excuse, there's always one available. But we need people who will say, just tell us where the people are. We're going to go get them. We need church to be a church that loves people, cares about people, reaches people, teaches people. We need to care about people to the ends of the earth. We need to care about people who go to our schools, work in our jobs, live in our neighborhoods, serve in our communities. Because God has given our life purpose. And he uses people like us 
though we are frail and fallen people, though we've all messed up just like Paul, God wants to use our spiritual gifts, people with our talents and abilities and backgrounds, people with our personality, every personality type, to follow God's will, God's purpose, and God's plan for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. And God wants us to be people like that. God has given your life purpose. And there's a second principle. I'd like you to write this down, please. God gives your life connection. God gives your life connection. Let's go to verse 2. Paul is the writer of the letter, the Holy Spirit writing through Paul. And the recipient is a man named Timothy, verse 2. To Timothy, my dearly loved son. And we know a little bit about Timothy. Both of these letters, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, are addressed to him. Um, we know a little of his background. He's got a Greek father. We don't know very much about him. We know a little bit about his mother, believing mother and grandmother. Next week, if you're here, we'll talk more about his mother and grandmother. We'll be introduced to them. They are a Jewish background. They've grown up knowing the things of God from the Old Testament, but they have come to know Christ as the Savior and Timothy as well. And uh, their families, these women have poured into Timothy. The Bible says about Timothy that he knew the Scripture from the earliest age, that he was very serious about faith. Timothy served with Paul. He went on these missionary journeys with Paul. We see him with Paul in the book of Acts. He's starting churches. He's sharing the gospel. He's using his gifts and talents. He is following as best he can God's will and God's plan for his life, he's really serious about following the Lord. And here's what Paul says about him. To Timothy, my dearly loved son. So Paul is for him a mentor or a discipler. Paul is teaching him. I'm I'm sure when they would travel together, you know, his long journeys, and they're not driving cars or flying in planes, of course. They're walking on these long journeys, and they would just, I'm sure, talk about the things of God. And Paul is teaching Timothy about the things of God and God's purpose and God's plan. Or they're on a on a ship somewhere going to another place, and, and they would just have long periods of time with nowhere to go except talk about the things of God. And Paul is discipling him and mentoring him and showing him what it means to be a follower of the Lord, even setting the example. Timothy, you know, would go to prison, just like his mentor Paul had gone to prison. There are people in prison this very day. Did you realize this? For the cause of Christ, because they're followers of the Lord, around the world there are people who are in prison because of their faith in the Lord. Timothy learned that from Paul. He learned about being strong and following the Lord even in difficult days and hard and trying circumstances. He says, uh, my dearly loved son, Paul is undoubtedly a father figure. He calls him not just my dearly loved friend, but my dearly loved son. He's not his physical father. All we know about Timothy's father is that he was Greek, maybe not even a believer. Maybe he was an absent father. We don't know. If he was, join the club. Many of you here grew up without an active uh, father participant in your life. It's a very common story. Maybe Timothy had a father wound. Many of you here, many people watching online have a father wound because there was a father who was not involved in the life. It's a very, very common story. But But Paul poured into the life of Timothy so that he didn't just call him a friend. He said, you're my dearly loved son. I mean, that's the relationship they had. That's the connection they had. And he is pouring into this younger man, caring about him, loving him like a father ought to love his own son. Some of you have had wonderful fathers. Some of you learned about faith from a father, but 
There are many of you here, undoubtedly, who have, who have not had that. Notice the Bible says, he calls you my dearly loved son. There are a lot of you here, I know, who have never had a father say, I love you, or I'm proud of you. My own father did not grow up in a Christian home, and his father eventually came to know Christ as Savior as a middle-aged man, and from that point forward, my father was more active in faith. And then when my, my, when my dad was in, um, in the army in Korea, he really got serious, more serious about faith. That was his kind of recommitment, his adult commitment to the Lord. And uh, he came back just serious about following God's purpose and plan for his life and became a bivocational pastor. He was a construction worker and he pastored small churches. And so I grew up with a father who, who I knew loved me and cared about me. Imperfect. There's no, there are no perfect fathers. But, man, he loved me. I knew that. In fact, my dad said he loved me all the time. But he said it didn't start that way. So my dad said he grew up in the generation where men didn't say to their boys, I love you. He went to some conference or something somewhere, and he heard a preacher say, you ought to tell your, fam- your, your children you love them. And, and he said, man, I need to do that. You know, that's not the kind of thing he grew up with. And so he came home, and I've got all brothers, and he came home to the boys, and he said, uh, he said it was really awkward. He said, I love you, and he said it was just so awkward to say. And the next day he said it again. It was still really awkward, and then, you know, stayed awkward for a while. But eventually it got to where, I mean, I'm telling you, for the last years of his life, he said it so many times, I'd finally say, Dad, I, mean, I, lo- I know you love me. I love you too. I got it. I got it. I love you too. Well, some of you, many, you've never heard a father say, I love you. Maybe that was Timothy. I don't know. And Paul said, I want you to know one thing. I love you. You're my dearly loved son. So can I just say to you, I'm going to say a word to you men. I'm going to get my glasses so I can read this to you because if you're a man or boy, I want you to hear this. I'll talk more about um, the role of women when we talk next week about the mother and grandmother, but let me just say a word to you men. Are you listening, men? The great need of our generation, the great need of our generation is godly men who will teach, encourage, and mentor the next generation. Of course we need women, of course. I mean, I'm not, I'm not ignoring that. I'm just saying the great need of this generation, of our generation, is godly men who will teach, not be passive, but teach, encourage. Young men are discouraged and mentor the next generation. Many young men are growing up in our society who do not know what it means to be a man. They don't know. They didn't have a father in their home, or they didn't have a father figure that they could learn from it. They didn't know what, they've never seen a godly man in their life. And they don't know what it's like. What, what does it even look like? What's that mean? What's a godly man supposed to do and be? And so they're growing up in a generation where they've never seen it or heard it or watched it. And it's the crying need of our generation. It's the crying need of our generation. And if you grew up without that in your home, someone has to, some man has to say, I'm, I'm going to love Women, like a man is supposed to love women, not like the world says. Someone has to learn what it means, not just, not just learn from the pornographers about women, may I say bluntly, but learn God's plan and God's purpose. And we, we desperately need that in American society, desperately need it. So can I just ask you to write down this little phrase here? God made you for relationships. God made you for relationships. 
Some of you are, by personality, you know, you're really extroverts. This has been a hard, it's been a hard last month, hasn't it? And some of you are introverts, and you're saying, you know, it's not that bad. <laughs> but wherever you fall in the spectrum of personality types, God made you for relationships. You need them. You need people, and people need you. You need others, and others need you. You need someone pouring into you. You need to be pouring into others. And so I, I'm going to tell you about my two, uh, the, the two most significant uh, mentors in my life, men mentors in my life. And because uh, I, I had a dream about them. They both died eight years ago. And I had a dream about each of them in the last, this last week or so. I'm not saying one of the dreams like Daniel where there's an interpretation. I'm just saying it was a reminder, you know, you have dreams. And I reminded how much I cared about these two guys, how much they meant to me. So the first one was my dad. And I said, uh, I had a, a good godly father. Not a per- there's no perfect man. I'm not expecting any of you men uh, to, to have perfect backgrounds or anything either. But I want you to, I, here's what I knew about my dad. I knew he loved God. I knew he loved my mother. I knew he loved me. I mean, that's a pretty good start, I'm telling you. I mean, he, he didn't get perfect on, the, on all the small things. He got the big things right. And it really, man, I'm just telling you, men, if you get the big things right, it really does help. And he loved God, and he loved me, and, I, and it was so significant for me. And um, so in my dream, I'm dreaming, and, and I, my dad says in the dream, my dad, my dad said, he's been dead for eight years, but he said, uh, son, it's time to get up. And so I got up. And it's like really early in the morning. I just got up. I mean, you know, your dad tells you, I'm from the generation too where like you, you'll have to, I'm from the generation where you, when your dad told you to do something, you had to do it. <laughs> I know some of you know, like you barter with your parents or something, you know, you make deals with them. I didn't, there wasn't my generation. You'll have to ask your grandparents about that generation. It's a little, they had, a little, they had other ways. They had means of making these things <laughs> more, more, um, more worthy of remembering. I'll just say it that, uh, that way. And then the other, I had a dream then like, you know, next night or two uh, about Dr. Roy Fish. Dr. Fish was my uh, oh, professor of mine in my seminary days. And he was my major professor during my PhD time. And he was, I graded for him for a couple of years. And so, I mean, I just admired him. He was a scholar, really kind gentleman, loved to teach God's word, preach God's word, great personal evangelist, shared the gospel with people. And later years, then we started praying together. And man, it was just so meaningful to me to have Dr. Fish in my life. And so Dr. Fish, uh, in my dream, is dreaming away, and I'm dreaming about preaching. <laughs> I know that sounds like a nightmare to you, but especially me preaching to you, that's the nightmare when I'm preaching to you in your dreams. That's when you know it's gone too far. You don't want to wake up if that happens. So Dr. Fish is sitting like over there where my wife is, and um, and, I, and I'm getting up to preach, and I see Dr. Fish. And I said, hey, Dr. Fish. And he said, uh, do I know you? And his family's there, and they said, oh, he, he doesn't remember people anymore. It's like, oh, so sad. I'm, I'm sorry. That's okay, Dr. Fish. That's right. And I was going to get up to preach, and, which in, his, in real life, in these last months, he started kind of, well, not that bad, but he started losing his, some of his forgetting things. And, and I was just reminded how God put these guys in my life who are, who, who cared about me, who loved me, and appointed me to God. And how many, many Christians don't have anyone like that in their life. It's one of the reasons why we just say, man, get in a small group. Get connected to people. Those life groups matter. And can I say a word to you? Long, some of you who have been believers for a long time, you need to be. You need to be 
a mentor, a father figure to some others. You need them, and they need you. You need them, and they need you. God made us. God, God gives our life connection. He made us for relationships. Now, there's a third principle I'd like you to know. Would you write this down in your notes? God gives your life blessings. God gives your life blessings. And we're going to note three particular blessings here in, in verse 2. Let's read this together. Verse 2 says, To Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's note these three words, really big words, powerful words, important words. I want you to get each of these. The first is the word grace. We just write that in your notes, grace. Grace is God's undeserved love or God's unmerited favor. It means God loves us even though we don't deserve it. So I I want you to, I know this will sound uh, funny to your ears having grown up in our culture, but we don't deserve God's love. I'm just, I'm not telling you this to be mean, but to be truthful and honest with you. We don't deserve God's love. You'll never appreciate God's love if you think you deserve it, if you think you've somehow earned it. The truth is none of us have earned it and none of us deserve it. God loves us because God is love. It's, it's, he's the perfect one, not us. It's not as though God in heaven says, you know, I just couldn't help but notice how perfect you were, how you have no flaws. Everyone else has flaws, but you don't have any flaws. And so I've decided to love you. That's not it. It's that God loved us even though he knows our flaws. God knows your flaws better than you do. It's not like you have hidden your flaws from God. You don't have to hide your flaws from God. He already knows them. And yet, God loves. And when you come to know him as Savior, the Bible says he adopts you into his family. He loves you. And the Bible says nothing can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. Or here's another way to think of grace. It's an acronym or acrostic. The military types use these all the time. So G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. We get God's riches, his love, his forgiveness. We're declared holy and righteous before God in salvation as though we had not sinned. But how do we get that? At Christ's expense. Christ paid the debt that was ours on the cross. Christ died for our sins. Christ took our place. So his expense... He paid the price for us to get God's love, God's riches, God's forgiveness. That's grace. Now, the other word I want you to write down is the word mercy. Write that, if you would, in your notes. Mercy. Mercy is where God withholds the judgment we deserve. So I'm going to say, if the first one was unpopular, this one is, is way, way worse. I'm just going to say it because it's the truth. We deserve God's judgment. We deserve God's judgment. It's not as though we should, we deserve, don't ever pray, God, give me what I, what I deserve. Don't ever pray that. It would be a terrible prayer. We deserve, I'm going to say this as clearly, as kindly as I can. We deserve, because we've all sinned against God who is holy. We deserve God's judgment. We deserve God's wrath. We deserve hell. I'm, I'm just telling this from God's word. But God's mercy God's mercy is that we don't have to have God's judgment, God's wrath, or hell. Because God loves us, because God cares about us, we can be forgiven, though we deserve it. Think of, think of grace and mercy like this. It's like a coin, the coin of love with two sides. On one side is, is the side of grace, 
where God loves us, though we, we, we didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. On the other side is God's mercy. We deserved God's judgment, and he didn't give it to us. It's God's love. Both sides of the coin are God's love. God loves you, and nothing can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. When you trust Christ as Savior, God loves you. Not, I love you if, or I love you when, but just, I love you, period. Grace and mercy. How thankful I am God loves us, even though we don't deserve it, and even though we deserve God's judgment. Now, there's a third word I'd like you to write down, and that's the word peace. Grace, mercy, and peace. Peace is God's calm in the storm. It's not God's calm because there is no storm, because there's a storm all the time. This is a fallen world, a world that's affected by sin. So there's always problems in our world. There's always storms in our world. We live in a world that has disease and death and and problems and difficulties. People sin against us. We sin against others. The the world itself is just affected by sin. And in fact, there's even a war going on. Did you know there's a war going on right now? A spiritual battle that's taking place. The enemy is always trying to attack you. And this spiritual battle is taking place. But in the middle of these storms, we can have peace. God's presence Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we can continue to walk because the Lord is with us, even in the middle of these great problems. Next week, we'll talk about how we don't have to live in fear because of what God has done. It's God's calm in the storm. And we live in a generation that talks about peace all the time, but we don't see very much peace around us, right? We see anger and animosity and frustration and difficulty and and problems. But in this storm, God offers to the believer his presence, which is peace. So we can have grace. This is God's blessing. Mercy. This is God's blessing. Peace. In the middle of the storm, this is God's blessing. Here's how it comes. From God the Father, this perfect Father. If you have the deepest father wound anyone has ever had, there's a Father who loves you, and he has said it so clearly to you. And he wants wants to give you this blessing of grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. It comes because Jesus paid the price for us. And may I note, he is our Lord, not just our advisor or just, you know, kind of a teacher, but he is the Lord. And so we're to follow him. And when we follow God's path and God's plan, we find his grace and his mercy and his peace. We we discover life's blessings that come from God. We discover the connection that he gives us with others. We discover the purpose that he has for us of life. This is the promise of life for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. That's what God wants for you. Will you bow with me for a word of prayer? And as we pray, I want to ask you to pray in in a couple of ways. If you've never trusted Christ as Savior... Can I just tell you, you can't be religious enough to go to heaven, and you can't be good enough to go to heaven. Heaven's perfect, and we're not. Even if we were perfect from this point forward, heavens, we've already sinned. But we can experience God's grace and mercy and peace because Jesus paid the price. And if you will repent of your sin and trust Christ, place your faith in Christ who died for you and rose from the grave for you, you can be forgiven. Receive him as Savior. Ask him to save you, and he'll save you. If you need someone to help you, to pray with you, we'll be happy to explain more of what that means to trust Christ as Savior. We want you to know him as Savior. Christian, I'm going to say a word to you. God wants your life to have purpose. He made you for a purpose, but he saved you for a purpose. And that purpose doesn't just include heaven one day, as great as that is, but also this day, this day on earth. Would you say, God, I want to live for your purpose. 
I want to make a difference. I'm not the kind of person I would choose to accomplish your purposes, but God, I believe you're big enough to use someone like me. If you could use Paul, you could use me. God, would you use me for the promise of life in Christ Jesus? Help me to live a life of purpose. Lord, help me to live a life of connection. Lord, would you, would you help me to pour into other people? And Lord, would you help, help me to find people who pour into me to know the truth, to know your word, to live your purposes? And God, would you help me to understand and recognize your blessings? Grace and mercy and peace that come from you, from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Lord, I don't want to take this for granted. This is the promise of life. I don't want to just exist in this world. I want to live the life you intend for me. Father, thank you for your word, for the power of your word, for the truth that you give us because you love us so deeply. And so, Father, would you use your word to do a work deep inside us that we'll not take for granted our faith, that we'll see how much this matters, how deep your love is, how great your purposes are for us, that we would live the life that you have for us to make a difference in this world for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.